Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast is sponsored by the UPS Store Canada. Hi, Ted. How do you do? I'm just fine and dandy, thanks. Uh, we're back with another episode, and uh, I'm very excited. Well, I'm excited about all the episodes, but this one's special because uh, we normally don't have somebody so accomplished agree to come and sit in the studio with us two knuckleheads. No, and quite frankly, so. we've had so many accomplished people on this season that my feelings of inadequacy just get <laughs> more and more pronounced every day. Fantastic. Um, so this will be good then. Yeah. <laughs> Brimming with confidence. No, you know what? It's yeah. going to be good for my humility. Okay, yeah. good. Um, I'm Terry DeMonte, that's Ted Bird, and uh, this is the Standing By Podcast brought to you by... Our title sponsor, I remembered the word this uh, episode. Nicely done. Uh, the UPS Store Canada. Over 380 locations, we think. We had lunch with David Drucker this week, and I said, how many stores, David? And he said, eh, three, uh, I think it's 380-something. Uh, and that's because they keep opening them all across the country. No matter where you're listening to this podcast, you'll find a UPS store nearby uh, with an entrepreneur who's running that franchise who can help you with your business. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're running a business from home um, and you're looking for packing, courier services, packing materials, you'd like to set up another address and get a mailbox, uh, a place to receive packages. If you have documents to shred because things haven't gone well, um, they can help you with all of that. They even can help you send a fax. I know it's counterintuitive in 2023 to talk about sending a fax, but they can help you with it all. The upsstore.ca is where you'll find a location near you. And uh, like I said, and you don't even have to be running a business. You can send Christmas presents. Yeah, there's lots of personal things you yes. can take care of at the UPS store. Speaking of faxes, that's in my Twitter or X, as it's now known, bio. Mm -hmm. Old school media guy in a new media world. Fax me. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is, um, well, one of the most accomplished men um, that we know. Uh, he is a uh, proud Montrealer. Um, his list of accomplishments are too long to list, so uh, we'll ask him about it um, as we introduce him. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, Mitch Garber. Hello, Mitch. Hey, thanks, guys. This is a pleasure for me. Uh, start. Thank you for doing this. We were once a guest on your show, so we thought we must return the favor and have Mitch on. Well, our that show. was '93, so thank you for the 27-year <laughs> delay. But <laughs> nice to return the favor 23 years later. Um, do you? I like. Where do you start, Mitch? I mean, lawyer is where it all began, right? You, yeah, you started out as as legal counsel, right? Yeah, I think Montrealer is where is where it okay. all began. Um, you know, I went to, I went to Vanier CJEP after high school and, uh, then I went to McGill. I got an undergraduate degree. Uh, my dad, uh, dropped out of school in the eighth grade to take care of his family. And so for my dad, the most important thing, 
was that my sister and I got educated. That's all he cared about. Um, and uh, my sister went on to get an MBA, and I went on to the University of Ottawa to get a law degree, actually to follow in the footsteps of my godfather, Cookie Lazarus, who you both know well. Yes. And so my my path to becoming a lawyer was kind of um, it was kind of painted for me by my parents and Cookie. <laughs> um, whether I wanted to actually be a lawyer or not, um, I I am grateful because I think it was it was a stepping stone to everything I've done and including radio, just including the ability to articulate, the ability to debate, to discuss, um, to agree and disagree. Law school, uh, to speak French, I went to law school in French. So it's probably been the most additive uh, single thing that I've done in, in, in my professional life. Did you enjoy the law? I enjoyed, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. It, it depends. You know, the law is, um, it, it covers a lot of different areas, right? So did I enjoy criminal law, tax law? Uh, constitutional law, family law, I did. And there's a bunch of stuff that I didn't really enjoy. Um, but it's three years of study. And, um, and and it really does it really does help the way you think. All of us do things that are attached to the law. You've signed leases, you've rented cars, you've taken out a mortgage, you've negotiated a contract, you've had a contract broken, uh, you've sued people, been sued. So it's hard to avoid um, the the knowledge base. And so I've used it to my advantage. I wonder how you begin transferring away from being uh, a lawyer and heading towards the world of business because I know you you were at a firm and then something drew you away from that firm. What was that and how did you make that decision? You know, I th people people say that I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't really... I don't accept it because when I look at entrepreneurs, I see people who, you know, out of their garage, they've developed something where they've put all their life savings and then borrowed from their parents and their uncle and their aunt and they've developed something or or they haven't and they failed at it. And that's also entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I had my law degree. I was working in a law firm. I, I married my wife, Anne-Marie, in 1991, and she was making a lawyer's salary. And so I was able to make a decision to leave the law practice and join a company that I had helped start while I was a lawyer taking financial risk, but really not taking the type of risk that's associated with entrepreneurship, where I'm rolling the dice and putting all the chips in the middle of the table. I have a wife who's earning a really good salary. I've put away a few dollars from my, my, my practice of law. And so uh, the decision was not that difficult because I really did and do love business. Um, I like being around a lot of people. In law, you're kind of sitting in your office by yourself. Mm -hmm. You're doing a lot of research. What? Uh, uh, sorry, Mitch. Yeah. What branch of law? What what discipline of law were you practicing? Whatever Cookie sent me to court to do. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, a bit of a nightmare because you know I I would represent someone who was who was who got a ticket for passing a flashing light school bus, and the next day. I'm, you know, I'm doing a motion for custody in a in a matrimonial dispute, and the next day I'm in some type of contractual uh, dispute. So, I guess in the end that's a good thing. But to not, you know, to not be focused on one thing, you know, I wouldn't want me as a lawyer, <laughs> you know, knowing that the day before I was doing a school bus ticket, and now I'm, and now your kid's custody is in my hands. So. Um, I mean, it's 30 years later, so I could laugh about it, but it, it wasn't that funny. Sorry, I took you away from the story. So, <laughs> you, so you're, you've moved out of the law and towards business. Yeah, I, I moved towards business, and I really enjoyed business and business people. When I was young, <clears throat> I delivered the Montreal Star when I was 11 years old. Um, I had the concession for a canteen, which I owned, and I owned the equipment for when I was 14. My mom opened a bank account for me. I would order all the food in the summer. Um, you know, I went through all kinds of business experiences that 
seem like nothing, but when you have a power failure and you have $400 worth of ice cream in your freezer and your net worth is $300 and all your ice cream, all your ice cream melts and you're crying to your mom that you need to borrow another $400, that's the real world, but you're only 14. So I did get a lot of business experience young and I really enjoyed that business experience. And plus when I was, you know, when I was 15, I was making $3,000 a summer owning this canteen. And my friends were at Hampstead summer camp. Pool? Yeah, Hampstead Pool. Really? Yeah. Wow. That was a shot in the dark. No, that's my true. That, that's Hampstead Pool. Really? That's wow. where your canteen was? That's where was. my canteen was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and so my friends were at summer camp. And I got 3000 Next summer, 3000 3000 3000 All of a sudden, wow. I have $12,000. And I buy a car. I go to Europe uh, backpacking. Like, I, I was able to do things. They were able to do it, too, because their parents were rich and mine weren't. But <laughs> I was doing it with my, with my 12000 yeah. So. It felt it felt a lot more real. It was it a combination of of the business plus the business and the internet that led you to your first uh, business venture. Yeah, the internet was a gift for me because um, you know there were there were more old lawyers than young lawyers. Right, and the old lawyers in 1996, 97, they knew nothing about the internet. You know, I have a CompuServe account. My friend Joel Leonoff founded TotalNet which at the time you needed an internet service provider and someone to come to your house and put eight floppy disks in your computer so that you could wow. then access the internet. Um, and so I was enamored with what he and Rory Olson were doing. Uh, they sold TotalNet. And then we started together because I had a client that needed to be able to accept credit cards over the internet. And I thought Joel could do it. So I asked him. So he said he could do it. I later realized that what he was doing was taking the credit card number and just calling Visa and then getting the authorization. So he wasn't actually using the internet, but the internet merchant thought, hey, this is amazing. I've got internet, uh, I've got transaction processing, credit card processing on the internet, but actually TotalNet was just calling Visa the way you would at a store wow. and getting authorizations <laughs> until they developed the ability to do it. And once they did develop that ability, I left the law practice and we built a very big business. And then that business gets sold? Yeah, we sold that business um, to Bell Canada and then Bell didn't want it anymore. So we spun it out into our own public company, and we made a real success out of it. And then from that, you go on to another business, do you not? Yeah, from that, I, I ended up getting recruited. Um, at the time, it was a $10 billion company. I turned it into a $2 billion company. I'll tell you how I did that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there was a company called Party Gaming, which was the, the leader in, in online poker based in the UK. And uh, Deutsche Bank and Hydric and Struggles, which is a... Uh, hiring firm, and Deutsche Bank, obviously a big bank, they were looking for a new CEO. They had a CEO. The CEO took the company public, and they didn't feel he was the right CEO for the future of the business. And they recruited me. It took about 10 months of interviews, and I took the job to become the CEO of this $10 billion company, which was a, which was a great move by me. Um, but about four or five months in, the United States passed the Unlawful Internet Gambling oh, Enforcement right. Act. Wow. Yeah. And as a CEO of a public company, I decided to turn off all the U.S. business. My competitors, who were not public, kept the U.S. business and took all of our U.S. business. So $10 billion became $2 billion, but I learned a lot, and I, built the, I helped build the company back. Um, not quite to $10 billion, but we, kept, we helped build the company back, and uh, we had some success there. And I wanted to ultimately come back to Canada and come back to Montreal. And I got another offer, which was tremendous. Were you in the UK at that point? I was in the UK. Did you not live in Gibraltar at I lived in point? Gibraltar. I lived in Spain. I lived in London. I lived in Tel Aviv. Um, we moved around quite a bit, um, voluntarily, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, it was enjoyable. My kids went to a school in Spain and then a school in Israel. So they've had that experience. Now they're 28 and 23. I, I hope they today value uh, 
uh, that experience at the time. I don't think they loved it, you know, leaving their friends behind in, yeah. in, in Montreal. But I think over time, um, you can look back and say, hey, this is the p- part of the fabric of who I've become. I, yeah. I, I have a friend who went from Montreal to South Africa to Belgium and then back to Montreal again uh, with young daughters, teenage daughters, and, and they liked it. And mm-hmm. He and his wife thought the experience was terrific for them. Yeah, no, I think it was too. So anyway, I, I meet the uh, the owners of Caesars. They own 52 casinos all around the United States and and, uh, and elsewhere. And they ask me if I'm interested in building with them a subsidiary based on the World Series of Poker, based on my experience with in, online. And um, ultimately, I went there and I did that. And we we really had to pivot because poker still didn't become legal in the United States. So we ended up buying an Israeli company that was doing um, social mobile games like Zenga. And the reason why I went to Israel was because I went to Zenga first to see if they would partner with us. And they basically threw us out of their office and laughed at us like, what do we need you for? And we ended up building a company much bigger than Zenga. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you could swear on this podcast. Of course you can. So <laughs> fuck them. So, uh, so, so we ended up building a very big social mobile games company, not a gambling company. I ended up also having six casino physical ones in Las Vegas um, uh, under my... I was the CEO and chairman of, of a subsidiary that owned six of those casinos. And um, we sold the business for way more than we paid for it. We paid $100 million, sold it for $4.4 billion. And, um, yeah, the rest is kind of, is, is kind of history. The, when the gambling thing, that was a – I remember this because I had friends in the business. Um, and when the American, that American law passed, a lot of people panicked. But a lot of people moved offshore. Have I got that right? You do. And so, you know, as – I don't want to – I don't want to make it seem, and I'm not, uh, better or have a higher moral uh, high ground or better values than the people who didn't do what I did. I was a public company CEO with a law degree um, backed by very, very respected lawyers and bankers, uh, and I listened to their advice and I listened to myself, and what was best for a public company and its shareholders was to do what I did. If you're a private company and you own all the shares of the company and you're not answerable to shareholders, bankers, and others, you can make different decisions. And so I made the decision, I. I and the board and my fellow executives, we made a decision um, that we felt very comfortable with. And others who moved offshore, uh, they made decisions that they're comfortable with. And they're, many of them are really, really good people. Um, they made most of them a lot of money. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I there, there, there was a, a serious chance that a lot of people could have spent a long time in jail, right? I would say that the, the people you're talking about did not travel to the United States for yeah. at least a decade. Yeah. Gotcha. Pro- probably yeah. not. Yeah. Um, smart. you know, yeah. which is something that even if I was a private company, I would not, I would not take that. That's not what. That's not what I want in my life. I'm not prepared to have no. that type of exposure or risk. I'm not. You know, it's not my fiber. Is there a point, Mitch, where on this journey, that is? I'm curious about this, and I, I'm. I'm not. Don't mean to be personal, but is there a point on this journey where you get to a certain a part of the the journey where you you wake up and you go? Shit, I have a lot of money now. Or does that just you know what I mean? I'm not being I'm not being flip. Does it gradually happen over time? It didn't really gradually happen. I mean, for me, um 
Yeah, it's not that I mind talking about money. It's that I'm not. I'm not no, no, no. I, I'm not I don't, talking I, about I, I want, figures. No, no. But right, I'm talking well, about figures are important. So I'm, uh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> no, no. But I'm talking about the human experience, right? Yeah. Like I remember the first time I signed a hundred thousand dollar deal, mm-hmm. and I remember what I went through. You know, it's like peanuts, but. You know, at the time, you know, I came from a background where, you know, my parents didn't have a lot of money. And I thought, you know, the first thing I did was call my dad and say, you know, I signed this six-figure deal. So there's a mental thing that goes through. And I would imagine when you make the kind of deals that you were making, that there must be a moment where you're, you're shaving in the morning and you look in the mirror and you go, fuck, geez. It's, uh, I, there's, there's, a, there's a moment my where... My life has changed. Well, there's a moment where you look in the mirror... And you know for a fact that you will never have financial insecurity. That moment is the turning point moment in in my life. Then you have the moments where other people are always talking about your money (laughs) and being a somewhat public person. And, and, you know, part of my life became public because I did public, sexy, cool-looking things. Yes. And part of it is my own doing. Uh, Ted and I are users of X, formerly Twitter, yeah. and we have made the decision that we're prepared to be out there, to be opinionated, to take positions, to 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 take what comes back from taking those positions. And so, in my case, um, if I ha- take a position, sometimes people who I don't respect, because most of the time they're anonymous, they will refer to the money like, "What do you know?" You know, what does a rich guy know about X, Y, Z? Sometimes they use the religion. Sometimes they use the language. (laughs) You know, I got a lot going against me. (laughs) You know, um, you know, I always considered being a rich Jewish Anglo not to be such a bad thing, but apparently on Twitter. (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) How much have you had to, or to what extent have you had to guard against or be conscious of remaining grounded and and humble given the level of success that you have because when you came into the studio this morning it was still mitch garber to me yeah you do not carry yourself any you know i've never been you know we're not close friends or anything but i've known you casually over the years and you don't carry yourself any differently than you ever did to me i don't know you know first of all we live in a society that overly values money as the sign of success it overly values it. I've been a beneficiary of that overvaluation, okay? People listen to my opinion about things I know nothing about as if I know because I made money. Right? Mitch, how do you think the war in Ukraine is going to end? I'm like, what? How the fuck do I know? You know? You think because I have money in the bank that I... I and they listen like, you know, well, let's see what Mitch thinks. I'm like, well, you know? I'm not a historian on Eastern I, European I, I, uh, conflict. Yeah, but, but I, I don't think it's strictly about money, Mitch. I also think, you know, there's there's a respect that comes with being a successful man. And and when you're a successful man, people think, well, this this man is successful. He's made some really good decisions. Yeah, you've, you're, and he's you're a smart guy. Yeah, you're a smart guy. Exactly. Well, I spend, okay, I spend a third of my time at least on philanthropy. And I don't think, I really don't, I know this is going to sound, this is going to sound self sort of self-promotional, but I don't think it's because I'm a good person. I really? Think, I don't. I think it's because I understood and understand the moral obligation of the unequal distribution of wealth and the unfairness of the distribution of wealth globally and locally, and I 
I got lucky and maybe I had some smarts, but there's a lot of luck involved just being born in Canada. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's a lot of luck involved in it. And so I'm aware, my wife is aware, I hope my kids are aware, that I owe it back. Okay. So the, the society in Quebec and Montreal, they allowed me to make this money. Um, we need to take care of those who are the most in need give them dignity, and they allow you to drive around in a nice car. They allow you to live in the neighborhood that's above their neighborhood, and they allow you to have a life expectancy that's 11 years longer than the life expectancy three kilometers from my house. So I feel like I I made the money, and I have a profile. I'm going to use both of them because I really think that it's a, it's an obligation um, you know, Mother Teresa was probably a really good person. Uh, so, um, I want to. I want to talk. I'm, I'm just. Gonna, we're going to stop to to sing the praises of our pal Sugar Sammy. Yes. Um, but um, I want to talk about uh, philanthropy is somewhere I wanted to go, and also politics, and also your choice to stay and live in Montreal. Um, but we need to. We don't need to. We want to. Sugar Sammy called us and said, uh, can I sponsor the podcast? Speaking of Montreal success yeah, stories. no kidding. We're just talking about um, how uh, forward-thinking, how clever, um, how bold it was to do a, a bilingual show. You've seen it, Mitch? Uh, many times, and yeah. we're very good friends, and we yeah. speak... Well, we speak, we text frequently, so yeah. yeah. A bilingual show that he's taken across Canada now. Yeah. He's doing the bilingual show in Winnipeg, in Edmonton, in Calgary, yeah. in yeah. Vancouver. I'm going to see him this weekend in Vancouver. I can't wait. Yeah. Alors. Elora, yeah. But he's attracting those pockets of Francophones yeah. who live in other provinces. And how would you describe it? I, 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 words fail me when I try to tell people what kind of show it is. It's bold. It's uh, hilarious. It's a social commentary, but it's you know it's not a it's not a it's not a lesson. It's it's just a really really funny comedy well, it's show. A, it's a demonstration. He's a he's a micro he's a one man microcosm of of. Quebec society, yeah. or in particular Montreal, uh, Montreal culture. Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, I think you know, Ted. Before we, when we were sitting before we we got on the on the podcast, we were talking about Sugar Sammy. I don't want to make the comparison with Robin Williams, but Sugar Sammy has an ability that very few comedians have. So we'll leave aside the French and English. He adapts. He goes along. He sees the crowd. He asks people questions. He doesn't know what the answers are going to be, and he is funny all the time, whether he's in Atlanta yeah. or in Montreal yeah, or in Vancouver. Yeah. He has a skill um, that very few people have. He's self-deprecating. That's also a, yeah. a, an important skill. Yeah, and he's, uh, skill. he's good, and he's kind, and I think that comes across yeah. on stage. I, I saw him in San Francisco. Same reaction there that I that was when I, we saw him at UCAM. Yeah, he's got a combination yeah. on stage of likability and comfortable comfortability, if that's a word, that's gold. And it's just gold the, for a If comic. you want to get tickets, you have to act now. Or yesterday. Or yesterday, <laughs> yeah. All it's all of all of the tickets for this year are sold out. So he's added new shows in twenty twenty four. He put those on sale. January sold out right away. Yeah. So January twenty twenty four is gone. There are tickets for February twenty twenty four. I don't know what he's gonna do in March. Um, if you're listening to this before Christmas 2023, it would make a good uh, Christmas present. Sugarsammy.com is where you can get all the information. It's a show not to be missed. If you haven't seen it, um, you're, you're, you're missing something that truly, really is groundbreaking. It's a great date show. It is a great date okay, show. That you're is right like about the that, best Mitch. date. Yes, Although is. your date Activity. might want to leave with Sammy if <laughs> yeah. you're not careful. <laughs> 
Mitch, um, we're talking to Mitch Garber. Mitch, I've always been curious about, you know, you've lived in a lot of places, so maybe it's been there, done that. Um, uh, but not only have you chosen to live in Montreal, you've chosen to dive in the pool. And diving in the pool as as a, a publicly known um, Anglophone comes with all kinds of grief that I, you know, I follow you and <laughs> love reading the tweets and the, the engagement you have with the Journal de Montréal and Le Devoir and, you know, every nationalist of every stripe. And, and I think to myself, good for you, but you, you know, you, you really couldn't live anywhere in the world if you wanted. Why did you choose Montreal and why do you choose to fight? Huh. Two good questions. So, look, Montreal, I chose Montreal and it chose me. My great-grandmother came here in 1906 wow. from escaping Russia through England, landed in Montreal, 16 years old, born in 1890. Um, and so the Garber family got very lucky that Grandma Garber, who lived to 99, so I knew her well, wow. uh, landed in, 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 in Montreal. Um, my family's here. The restaurants I know are here. The streets that I know how to maneuver my way through. You told me to come to Chabanel. Of course I know Chabanel. This is the most Jewish building in the entire <laughs> city of Montreal. I'm sure this 99 Chabanel I'm, and 111 yeah, Chabanel. Yeah. I'm sure this whole <laughs> building was a Schmutter building. This yeah, is, it is, sure. still is, except yeah. for your podcast. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, so I love Montreal. You remember those license plates, Montreal, the city with a heart? Yeah. So I, I love Montreal. Um, I don't call myself an Anglo. They call you yes. Anglo, okay? I, I didn't choose to be called an Anglo. What I did choose to do is to tweet in French. Yeah, That I chose to do because I can and because it's a message every time. Hey, you can shit on me all you want. Yeah, I'm tweeting in French. I speak French. My wife is French. I went to law school in French. My kids have studied in French, Yeah, okay? You can call me Anglo. You can do whatever you want. But I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you and I can go on Tout le monde en parle and I can be on the Dragon and I can be on RDS. And I, and I have done all those things, and I will continue to do all those things, and I will make my opinion known in French. And it makes people crazy, <laughs> right? And if I did what I do in English, it wouldn't have the impact yeah. for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's enough Anglo opinions about Anglo-Quebec that I have nothing to add yeah. that will be additive or helpful. Um, and number two, there are too few Anglos that speak French as well as I do. Yes. And can write in French and have, yeah. you know, 50,000 Twitter followers, which is not a lot, but it's a lot here. Yeah. Um, so I've chosen to, to dive into the pool. Sometimes I regret it uh, <laughs> because some, the, the reason I regret it, and I don't know, Ted, I'd love to have your opinion because I, I've, I've wanted to ask you this offline as well. You know, sometimes I either get sucked into a thread or argument that I regret allowing myself to get sucked into. Um, and I really wish that I hadn't made that third tweet or second tweet or answered that person. And to my detriment, I continue to do it. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's like, it's like cigarette smoking. You know, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. And I think it, because I do the same thing all the time <laughs> And it's, you know, what, what I don't do is I don't do, okay, wait. Yeah. Don't hit send yet. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. You know? And don't. you have to be careful because you work for a company. Yeah, I, and I work for a company that has fired a couple of shots yeah. across my bow yeah. because people have complained about something I've said yeah. on social media. So I'm on... <coughs> 
I'm on probation. But it's the, you know, it's that old story of, and I can't practice this to save my life because I, <laughs> um, wait, you know, write the letter and uh, it's the, write the letter or write the tweet and uh, get it out of yours. And I've actually, I have become better at this. Yeah. I get it out of my system. I write it out and then I delete it. I, I can. I'm okay. able to do that more now. Not not every time, but I'm able to do it more than I used to That's be. Because I used to be just shoot from the hip, yeah. and it got me into trouble. I'm I I'm really really anxious to talk to you about this because I have a massive chip on my shoulder about this, and I don't like the fact that I have a chip on my shoulder. I'm 65. I should calm down and know better. But 65 and open heart surgery. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I, <laughs> I'm I'm. I'm uh, uh, I'm a born and raised Quebecer. My grandparents, both sides of uh, my mother's side, my father's side, came here, and and we helped build the province. We made contributions to the province. I was never more proud of where I came from, and I think I tried as best as I could to use my public platform that I had over the years to become part of the fabric of the city, and you know, do whatever I could whenever I could. I always, you know, I rarely said no to any charity events. I'm, like, I'm not looking for a pat on the back, but my point is it never was enough. You, I would say, je suis Québécois, and there was always people that would say, je pense pas, monsieur, no. Vous êtes anglophone, you're not a Quebecer. And it helped chase me out of here. And I'm married to a francophone who grew up in St. Agathe, and... I admire your pluck and your your courage to get in, and you're better equipped than I am. But do you ever feel unwelcome? Like when you go on Tout le monde en parle, do you feel like you're going into the lion's cage? Do you feel like les autres? No, I think the opposite. Really? I think I'm massively respected for doing it in French. Yes. Even if I make a bunch of mistakes. And... I'm hoping Ted's going to agree with me that Twitter and the Journal de Montréal are not the real Quebec oh world. My God. And I agree. we get sucked into believing that it is yeah. and it isn't because I've traveled the province. Honestly, the people are great. They like me. And when I say me, us, yeah. okay? Yeah. Yeah. They may not have listened to Shom yeah. in Le Beauce. I don't know. They may or may not know who you are. But if you show up there and you say a few words of French, yep. they will love you. So I've gotten sucked in. I'm using that term a lot, but I've gotten sucked into the, the this the Twitter or Quebec Twitter and the Journal de Montréal and the Sophie de Rochers and Richard Martineau's who are paid hundreds of thousands just to create discord. I'm not paying any money. If I create discord, it's just because that's my opinion. I have nothing to gain from it. So I'm trying to be conscious of the fact that certain people are being paid to create the, if they didn't create the discord, well, they wouldn't have a job. Yeah. So I'd like to, if you, you don't mind, I'll inter interview yeah, yeah. you, Ted. But <laughs> Please do. But, 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 but seriously. Nobody Twitter, ever wants to know what Twitter, I think. No, but Twitter and the Journal de Montréal are not the real no, world. No, social media is not the real world, Well, let's period. talk about Louise. Downstairs, Louise. Yeah, La Belle that, Louise. That, that's, to me, that's the real yeah, Quebec. The that's parking a, lot attendant downstairs, yes. she's so lovely. And she, I... And I think she knows that my French is uh, a catastrophe, a great catastrophe. But you know, she's she's a francophone. She doesn't speak a lot of English, 
And us two knucklehead Anglophones, we we make the energy. We, we can't we, get into the parking garage. We spent Terry yeah. was lined up behind me at the parking Tell garage me. today. We're two different cars, <laughs> and I'm talking to Louise. And at one point, Terry lays on the horn behind me, like "Get going!" Yeah, yeah I know it's a, a joke, joke. Yeah. because she's just she's so engaging. But and to I, me, she she's representative yes. of what you're talking about. Sammy has told me he's taken that show into the far-flung regions of Quebec, mm-hmm. and they love him. Yes, they absolutely adore him, and they're welcoming and everything else. So you're right. I I guess I you know I ran out to Vancouver. I guess I fell prey to it. I, I fell prey to that, and I'm the same as you. I, my French is not uh, is not good at yeah, all. But, he, but he's he's. Completely I know. He, well, bilingual. yeah, I know. Mitch is completely bilingual, yeah. but I'm the same as you in terms of what you just said about all I need to do is say a few words of French, and I can tell that it's greatly appreciated and greatly respected. Yeah, and there's well, and, and there's another thing I've said this actually this I've tweeted in English because I wanted English people to to read it, <laughs> um, which is if you walk into any place of business in Quebec, let's call it a Starbucks for argument's sake or Tim Hortons or whoever your sponsor is, let's call it that. Um, I think it's incumbent on us to ask for the coffee in French. I agree. Okay. I Because everyone in Quebec knows how to ask for a coffee in French. Why go to the barista and say, I'll have a double frappuccino when you could say bonjour, yeah. It's respect. Yeah. And I don't accept the argument. Well, it's my right to speak. It is your right to speak English. You're not talking to a surgeon about, you know, your diagnosis, in which case you should use the language that you speak best. You're asking a barista for a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's make the distinction between getting a diagnosis from a surgeon yeah. and, and, and ordering a coffee yeah. and showing the showing the respect that we should show. It's common courtesy. Common yeah. courtesy, yeah. Exactly. And, and And respect. And now, mind you, if I'm in Point Claire and I know that the clerk is English, right. I'll just say, give me a double-double. Right, because but if I'm them. at the corner of, uh, you know, Rosemont and Papineau, then I'm going to ask pour un, uh, exactly. un café pour un parté. Exactly. Or as I once said yeah. many, many years ago, <laughs> in, in Lévis, Quebec, on my way back to New Brunswick I to knew, visit my friends. Yeah, I didn't know, I knew no French at all at that point. And I thought to myself, okay, I want a coffee to go. Uh, I want a coffee for the road. Est-ce que je peux avoir un café pour la rue? <laughs> Did they laugh? Yeah. Okay, Did but they, they laugh? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they did yeah. know what I meant and they appreciate it. I'll just go one step further. If I'm in Italy, it's the same. Yeah. I don't speak Italian. Okay. If I'm in Germany, it's the same. Just something. Bitte. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Just so you know, I'm I'm struggling to, and then they'll speak to you probably in English. But well, it's funny you mention that because in in Italy, it's the same thing. If you're in a small village where no, you know everybody's a lot of people speak English in Rome, but you if you go outside mm-hmm. of Rome. You you know good luck to you if you don't know how to say dove or grazie or you know you just need like a half a dozen words or a phone and or a phone yeah, yeah there you go a phone yeah yeah, yeah exactly um, we should take a break here Ted and thank uh, two more of our sponsors we should I want to talk about Jaguar Land Rover Laval because yes. I got a message from Adrian McGrath their marketing director they have an exclusive deal with iCar. Up at Mirabel, iCar's got uh, iCar uses the I think they use the old runways at Mirabel as mm-hmm. like a, a racetrack. Yeah, so you can go up there if, with your high performance car. Yeah, I've been it's and, spectacular. Yeah, and away you go. They now have an off road facility up there as well. And Jaguar Land Rover Laval has an exclusive deal with iCar for their off road track. Uh, that uh, well, it's there. It's just Jaguar Land Rover Laval's. You want to go on the off road track? You better talk to Jaguar Land Rover Laval, and if you have uh, a Land Rover, 
uh, and, and specifically a Land Rover Defender, which is the first courtesy vehicle they loaned us uh, for our first season. What a beautiful luxury oh. tank that thing is. Uh, you can uh, take your Defender up there and on the house, uh, do the off-road track. And it looks and sounds like uh, a lot of fun. And I'm sure that Jaguar Land Rover Laval will, will put together some uh, pretty spectacular client events for uh, their Land Rover owners at the iCar off-road track. I don't know if they've got anything up online yet. Well, by the time this podcast airs, they might. At LandRoverLaval.ca, I'm sure they'll have something up uh, within a matter of weeks, if not days, about their new deal with iCar and the opportunity to take your Land Rover to the off-road track uh, at the iCar facility up in Mirabel. Just another example of uh, the customer service and the customer perks, the client perks offered by Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Uh, The quality of the product speaks for itself, Jaguars and Land Rovers. Uh, The difference is uh, in the customer service and in... You'll be part of the family. You buy a vehicle from them, you're part of the family. They've made us part of the family. I feel like part of the family whenever we do... We went to the hockey game as their guests in the Loge at Place Bell to see the Laval Rocket. Three generations of Decubelluses there. There was the patriarch, Vilio. There was uh, Nino and Renato, who run the joint now and have become good friends of ours. And their sons and the next upcoming generation, or I should say Nino's sons, Vilio and Sergio. And just good people. Good people selling a fantastic product. JaguarLaval.ca, LandRoverLaval.ca. And this season, we've welcomed a new sponsor called AccuTech Electric. I got a call from... Tom, who's a second-generation master electrician at the helm of this business, family-run business that his dad started 25 years ago, and you know how we feel about family-run businesses in this day and age of corporate takeovers. Um, It's nice to be able to get the owner on the phone, and I really had a long conversation with them about their, um, uh, just their philosophy about business, how they treat their employees, how they treat their customers, and initially I thought, I don't know if we can help you, Tom. Ted and I can't hammer a nail, and certainly we <laughs> stay away from the fuse box. So I don't know if we're the right people. And he said, yeah, well, we would love for you to speak on our behalf. They specialize in residential, industrial, commercial. They can do high-end residential renovations. They can uh, tackle the work in a new build. They do quality custom work. They can steer your renovations and steer you into hydro rebates. And of course, safety is their top priority. And so are their employees. They really are a wonderful company. Tom told me education and transparency is at the heart of everything they do. So if you run a business or you're renovating a home or you just need simple electric work, I highly recommend that you call AccuTech Electric. Um, You can find them online at accutech.ca. That's A-C-U-T-E-C-H dot C-A. Our uh, guest is uh, Mitch Garber. We're talking uh, all kinds of things, uh, politics and and uh, whatever else. I'm I want to talk about sports ownership. Well, I, I, <laughs> is that I, where you were going to go, I was, was going to go there I, 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 um, because I live where I live now. I live half away, half away, half an hour away, <laughs> half an hour away from the border, and we're in Seattle like that. 
And, uh, so let's go to a game then. I, I would love to go okay, to a game. Okay, I really I want to take you to a game. Love to go to Great, a game. Great, it's an amazing Mitch. experience. Yeah. Yeah, we we drive down, and my my wife Jess and I would love to go to a game with you. Absolutely. And she seems lovely. I I, I, I only know her through Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> she is lovely. Thank She's thank an angel. You. She yeah. loves him I for know. God's yeah. sake. <laughs> yeah, she married me. Yeah, and she's she's a massive massive fan of. Uh, of uh, the Climate Pledge Arena, Good. which is the nicest building I've ever been in. Were you were you around when they were putting that together? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And did you have a say? Well, what would you say if uh, Jeff Bezos wants to <laughs> sponsor the arena <laughs> yeah. and uh, make it you yeah. know, part of his $10 billion climate pledge gotcha. to be 10 years ahead of the Paris Climate What is Accord? your stake, Mitch, before we get into it in the, and I don't mean monetarily or statistically, yeah. but what is your stake in the Seattle Kraken of the NHL? Yeah, so I have a minority stake and a really good position uh, on the board of the team. Um, the majority owner of the team is a gentleman named David Bonderman, who's a mentor of mine, founder of TPG, large private equity firm. His daughter, who's a 42-year-old uh, MBA grad and business success on her own, Samantha Holloway, she's now running most of the operation. She's the chair she got a boyfriend? of the board. She has a husband. <laughs> <laughs> she has a really nice husband. Okay. Um, <laughs> Never mind. And so for me, uh, the, the influence and exposure that I have is something I never could have dreamt of. Um, the financial stake is, like I said, it's a minority stake, but the the contribution and the ability to be involved in the decision-making of the team, every aspect of the decision-making of the team, in fact, other than who we draft, because Ron Francis doesn't really give a shit about who I think we should draft. But, um, Do you offer an opinion anyway? I used to. <laughs> you used to? Yeah. You got shut down, did you? Yeah. Uh, no, we, we, we joke around a lot. And... and um, yeah, it's such an amazing team of analysts and scouts. And if you just watch the war room, you don't even want to say anything. Uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't watched a single player play, uh, you know, in the OHL. These guys are in Finland and Sweden watching yeah. people, kids play since they're 15 years old. So it's all about respect. Um, and uh, they, they do an incredible job. And I think that the, the team, I'm very proud of the team. The team has four really solid lines no superstar, although we have the rookie of the year from last year, Matty Beneers. Um, the team has the most diverse workforce, you know, which we're very proud of. Um, we've got the first uh, woman assistant coach in the AHL. Uh, we went to the seventh game of the finals overtime and lost to Hershey. Um, we've got uh, the first NHL's assistant, female assistant GM, uh, Alex Mandrecki. She's incredible. She was and is still one of the best uh, analysts uh that, that, that in the league so uh and, and maybe it's a bit easier to have this diversity when you're a new team and not a 110 right. year old team right. with a bunch of employees that have been there for 40 years so it's a bit easier um to create you know a an environment that's more representative of 2023 uh than of 1923 right and so no i'm very very proud to be part of uh of, of the organization has your position resulted in the seattle kraken Usurping the Montreal Canadiens as your favorite hockey team? By a lot. Isn't that something? That's really Isn't something, that yeah. something? Because yeah. we've been talking with other guests, yeah. hockey-related guests, about how <laughs> Terry was saying, you know, even like living in Vancouver and yeah. watching the Canucks all the time, he still bleeds red, white, and blue. Yeah, yeah. I can't help it. I, well, the Canucks, I don't think, are a very good organization, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, when I moved to Calgary, when I got hired to go to a Calgary radio station, I thought I got to become a Calgary Calgarian. I got to, 
you know, I got to live like a Calgarian. I got to, you know, mm-hmm. represent the community. And I, I <laughs> you just ju- couldn't do it. I just <laughs> couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. But I didn't have a minority yeah, stake in the team. Yeah, a big difference between yeah. being intimately yeah. involved with yeah. the team on a daily basis. And don't forget, you know, I was alive for many of the 24 Stanley Cups. Yes. I grew up, you know, with uh, everyone, Lafleur, Robinson, Ganey. I... You, uh, there's no number, there's no player I could not recognize from the from the 70s just by the back right. of their sweater. That's that that's the, the 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 depth into which we were all religiously associated with the Canadians in the 70s and even in in, in the early 80s. Um, I'm a good friend of Jeff Molson. Uh, I do really respect the organization. I'm a great friend of Chantal Maccabee, of Kent Hughes. Um, this organization is an organization that you can point to as the gold standard. There's no question about it. Um, so, you know, I'm being flippant, but the chances that we would meet them in the Stanley Cup final, which is the only place we could meet them, you know, those are that's a real long shot. So I can still, you know, I don't have to root against the Canadians. And we play no. them twice a year, once at home, once right. on the road. I will root against them, of course, yeah. in those it, two games. Is there a moment where you're at the Climate uh, climate Pledge and, and watching the team? And again, I'm, uh, I'm l- trying to dig into your psyche. Is there a moment where you think to yourself, wow, I'm part owner of a National Hockey League club? I mean, as a Montreal yes, kid, I that's got to be, you know, it's a long way from the Hampstead pool, Mitch. Yeah, it is. I mean, I just think, yeah, being around the people, uh, being around Ron Francis, being around the majority owners yeah. of the team, uh, making new friends in Seattle who who are you know major business and philanthropists, business people and philanthropists in Seattle. It's a city that I never went to before the team. Um, so that whole experience, you know, at 59 years old, it's a it is a pinch me experience, yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, and the arena, as you said, oh, it's gosh. a great source of pride. I've, I we went to see Springsteen there, just seeing a concert. I mean, the, just the way the building was designed and the way it was thought out, the way you get into the building and out of the building, I said to my wife, I can't believe it. it this took us two minutes to get into this building, and it's just so beautifully laid out. There were there were so many things, and I, I can't describe them all here, of course, but there was obviously so much thought that went into that building for the fan experience. You know, one thing about the team, and this is a, a, a credit to David Bonderman, um, David is very budget conscious, but he will spend whatever needs to be spend to, spent to make it great. Yeah. So we did blow through the budget on the Climate Pledge Arena, <laughs> and it ended up costing about $1.2 billion. That's public. People know that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth every penny. I do too. Because we are getting great concerts. Uh, the team has a really great fan base. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it, it is a great arena, and, and I appreciate that you love it too. Yeah. Um, and what's it like to uh, to uh, partner with Macklemore? <laughs> yeah, was, I've only met him really once. But uh, Todd Lewecki, our CEO, yeah. um, he he felt that it was a really good idea for Seattle um, that we would bring in two minority partners, Marshawn Lynch, the former Seattle Seahawks football player, and Macklemore. And he was right. Um, they add a dimension. The fans love them. Um, there's a love affair in Seattle. With Macklemore, the well, way there is what be a You have affair. to tell old man Bird exactly and who Macklemore is. Macklemore loves Seattle. Like he, he does. He has a passion for that city Mesa the way Kisa, you, you, have a, you have a passion for Montreal. He has a passion for Seattle. He's a massively successful yeah. artist. Okay. Yeah. I don't Recording know. artist. Okay. There yeah. you go. All right. Yeah. I wouldn't. Is he I, one of the hipper hoppers? <laughs> <laughs> no. I wouldn't deign well, to describe his music. Oh my okay. God. Jess, I know the name. Jess is going to kill yeah. me because she loves Macklemore. Yeah. <laughs> 
I got introduced to the Foo Fighters that I didn't even I, I didn't know any of their music before. I mean, really? you guys obviously are. Yeah. I mean, you've run a rock and roll station for <laughs> 50 years, so I'm not gonna we're not gonna talk music because I'm a null in the. Are you a fan? Are you a music fan, Mitch? Yeah, I'm a yeah. music fan, but. Like our mutual friend Mitch Melnick really makes yeah. fun of me because he is a <laughs> well, music yeah, aficionado. Yeah, big and, time. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I once went to a Millie Vanilli concert and told him about it. <laughs> so that kind of that that kind of fucked my credibility <laughs> on music. But more recently, I did go to Springsteen at uh, Climate Pledge. Did I went you? to Coldplay. I went to Paul McCartney. I went to the Eagles. Wow. Uh, I went to Dua Lipa. Um, so I, I'm 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 seeing a lot of really. Really great music. Do, do you do you look at the the uh, the list for Climate Pledge and say I think I'm going to go see? Like, were you at you and I were at Springsteen together? I guess, I guess well, not we together. Were. We well, you went building. to McCartney there too, right? Yeah, I saw McCartney. Yeah, there. he was great yeah. there too. Yeah, McCartney's. Yeah. Just, that's was really a, good. It was really that's good. That's a there. special thing. It's hard for me not to cry at a McCartney show. Yeah. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, I just went to Sting last week. I went to Sting. Oh, did you? Yeah, that was good. Yeah. How's so, he? Still got it? Yeah. Sounds like. 30 years ago, and Is he looks right? like 30 years ago. I don't really? know what yeah, he's I, doing. I, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to start stink I think it's the tantric sex. I think it's the tantric sex. He's made young. a deal with yeah. the devil for sure. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, age yeah. that guy. No, he is not aged, and his yeah. voice hasn't aged. That's the thing, right? When you yeah. go see, um, and, and, and I don't think Bruce is, uh, I don't call him Bruce because I don't know him, but. <laughs> I don't think his voice has changed either. No. I went to see him on Broadway as well, and that no. was amazing. It's exhausting watching Springsteen. I don't know where he's seventy three. Yeah, and they he just he goes from one so, like he doesn't even breathe between songs. He's, he ends one song and then it's one, two, three, four. Yeah. And he goes into the yeah. next one. Yeah, he's it's really amazing. it's it's a pretty powerful experience. Yeah, love him. How do you uh, organize your schedule, Mitch? With so many um, files on the desk, so to speak. Um, how far do you plan your your week, your month, and and how do you organize your day? I'm about planning about three months in advance. Right. Um, I have a calendar, yeah. and it's color coded. It's online. It's color coded, and so red is well, Mitch. Mitch must be well, not for you to see, but okay. Mitch. <laughs> Mitch must be in town. So that's a red, like yeah. the, 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 this Terry Today. and Ted podcast. Yeah. It's red. Okay. Mitch must be in town. Okay. Which means if anyone asked me over the last two months, can you be on Friday the twentieth of October? No, Mitch must be in Montreal. Okay. Um, and then I have the same thing. Mitch must be out of town. That's a board meeting in New York. Um, so. I've got this color-coded calendar over the next three months, so I know when I have to be in town and when I'm away. Everything else is kind of open to, um, you know, to my own discretion. And I have a similar problem to you, and I've known you for a long time. I also don't say no. What I've started <laughs> yeah. to say no to is the, and this is not an exaggeration, let's call it between five and ten people a week that I don't know, barely know, or are being introduced to me that want to have coffee. So I have to say no. Yeah. And let's do a Zoom. Text me what it is that you want to talk about. You have a business plan. Let me see it. I'll look at yeah. it. But to have a coffee, it would eat up all of my time. Yeah. Right? It's not a coffee. No, it's not a coffee. <laughs> it's not a coffee. Plus, you have to get to the coffee <laughs> yeah, shop. Yeah, it's not you got to find parking. You, yeah. And, and I feel badly because people want to have the coffee. Yeah. But... Uh, so that's the thing that I have to say no to, and everything else I basically say yes well, to. Well, listen, you can't be all things to all people no. because then you end up being nothing to anybody. So. How, how do you make decisions about, because you and your wife are, are uh, philanthropists doesn't even begin to describe it. You support so many things, not just in Montreal, but around the planet. How do you make that decision about who to support and what to give? So we really both like the umbrella organization, Sontrade, 
and, and CJA, the Combined Jewish Appeal, uh, because they have under them like 300 organizations each right. that they, you know, that they feed or that they distribute the money to. Um, and then we we make decisions sometimes together, sometimes not. Um, you know, Anne-Marie's on, on the board of the Weizmann Institute in Italy. Anne-Marie's on the board of the St. Mary's Hospital. I didn't make that decision. I'm on the board of the Montreal Children's Hospital. She didn't make that decision. <laughs> um, I, I think Anne-Marie says yes, where she adds value as a tax lawyer and a governance expert. And I say yes, where I add value with my profile. So running the Montreal Children's Golf Tournament, um, I'm pretty good at that. Uh, doing things where... Um, it's up to me to be out in public or soliciting people uh, or making public appeals or public speeches, whether it's for money or just for awareness. Um, so that's kind of the way we we operate. I'm now on the cabinet for the St. Justin uh, fundraise. I never was involved in St. Justin. I said yes for a different reason. I wanted to be, maybe I'm not, but I think I am. I wanted to be the first Anglophone yep. that was working for both hospitals at the same time to dispel this myth that there's an English children's hospital and a French children's hospital. Just like the Jewish general hospital, 20% of its patients are Jewish and 80% are not. It's not a Jewish hospital. Three yeah. of my four kids were born there. Yeah. Right. I was, I, I was yeah, born exactly, there. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave Ziegler going, delivering my son and going, your, wa your <laughs> wife's strong like ox. He's doing Borat while he's delivering my child. <laughs> do you know Cleve? Yes, I, of course yeah. I do. Such a great guy. Yeah, I was born to the guy. Jewish general. Were you? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know I was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> Stop that's the conversation. <laughs> that's end the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go out on that. Uh, no. Um, I Because th those are big decisions. And, you know, obviously you've, it's a big responsibility to decide. And, I, you know, it's, it's funny that, e you know, even there's a, there's a little bit of a political, not political thing, but, you know, you're trying to make a point because you're right. It's, it's not an English kids hospital and a French kids hospital. It's there are two children's hospitals in Montreal. Both great. Both great hospitals. Right. There are yeah. three are there yeah. not? What about the Shriners? Is yeah. that not yeah. Shriners? Shriners. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yes. Sorry about that. Um, I agree. What um, how do you choose um, where to holiday? Well I don't. Uh, okay. She does. So it makes that it makes easier. it easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You yeah. just go. Yeah. Uh, when the kids were younger, so this is this is part of so you asked about money before. Yeah. So part of the advantage uh, of having money is how you use it. Yes. So giving some of it away, of course, is is one way. Um, being able to afford to take the kids to India wow. uh, and to South Africa and to Israel and to Morocco. Having and choices. To, I've been to, we've been to all these places before they were too old to be able to take off work. Right. Um, they don't have kids yet. Um, and so, so we were able to do all these things and travel to, I've been to 70 countries. My kids have been to like 60. Um, it's a great so that's a great, a great, great advantage that we have. And Anne-Marie, uh, she, she makes those decisions. Um, sometimes she asks me, sometimes not. She hasn't made a mistake yet. So yep. no need for me to involve myself. What was the car that you bought with that $12,000? What, what car did you buy? I bought a Honda Accord from Honda Siggy. <laughs> Brand new? <laughs> Uh, no, yep. it wasn't brand new. It was previously owned. Then okay. I bought, previously enjoyed. <laughs> yes. Then, 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 then I then I bought a Honda Civic. Then I bought a Honda Prelude. Those were both new. Yep. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Then I bought uh, Cookie Lazarus's late wife. Uh, she wasn't late at the time. Uh, BMW convertible. Nice. Red. Uh, and then I lose track. But yeah. I did have as my screensaver when you say, "Oh, like you know, when did you?" 
first realized you made money. As my screensaver before I made money, yeah. I did have a Porsche oh. uh, convertible yeah. on the on on the uh, on the screensaver, and I one day did buy one. Good. Well, I, I love that. So I sir. need to know what you drive now. <laughs> now I have only electric cars. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm very woke. I know that what? we have to have that discussion. That's you, fine. You, 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 yeah, but you walk the walk. Yeah. I woke the woke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does Bugatti have an electric car no, yet? No, they don't yet. No? No, no. Would you get one if they did? No. No? No. no. I, you know what? I went through that phase. Um, you know, I went through the phase, and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm not ashamed of it. I had a Ferrari. Yeah. Um, you do crazy shit when you when well, when, we when talk, you're a lot of money. if you're able to yeah why not, yeah we, why not we talked get about your this. toys we we had our you know not not at that level not at the Ferrari level but we we had our run yeah with, when with we our worked B- at Shome part of our know, contracts were you get to go to BMW Laval yeah, and pick one as yeah. long as it's not as nice as Rob Braids because <laughs> he was the boss seriously <laughs> Terry I mean, couldn't yeah, get I, one as I, nice as Rob and I couldn't get one as nice as Terry because yeah, like, he was I the morning back show on host. His idiotic, I, you know I had a, a supplied 540 yeah. and I went out and got a Z4 like mm-hmm. there was two BMWs in the driveway like I've only got one ass <laughs> you know what I mean like it was it was kind of dumb. But it was but, fun. But it, it was, was fun. fun. As, mm-hmm. as you point out, it was a good time. Yeah. And it was the Mitch, time to do yes. it. We need to know uh, about baseball in Montreal because right. I know that you're a big baseball fan. And I believe you've been active in trying to get Major League Baseball back to the city. So so there there has been a group led by Stephen Bronfman, who you guys know, Um that was extremely active at trying to bring Major League Baseball back to Montreal, that was extremely active in hoping for a relocation of the Tampa Rays. Right. Then very hopeful of splitting the Tampa Rays, Mm -hmm. part of the season in Tampa, part of the season in Montreal. And all of those uh, potential uh, outcomes fell apart. Now there are rumors, and I say rumors because Major League Baseball has in its interest, when it talks about expansion, to not eliminate a city like Montreal. So why would you not say? Of course, Montreal is on the list of potential expansion cities. And as of today, I'm not involved, and I don't, and, and I see Stephen probably three times a week, and I don't know how active or not, because there's not really a discussion yet about expansion. But I do think that Stephen has this dream of bringing baseball back to Montreal. And if expansion comes back on the table, I don't think he'd walk away from the table. It'll be an expensive... Um, Got to build a park. Prop- well, I was going to ask you, why, why do you think it failed, and what is it going to take for it to succeed? I don't know why it failed. Um, I think maybe the Players Association and the league did not love the idea of a split team. That Maybe that would uh, start some momentum of other teams wanting to have split teams. And I'm very for it, and I, I, I'm saying this in my own personal capacity, not as part of Steven's group or anything, I think 162 games is too long for the next generation of sports fans who have a thousand other distractions. And when we had no distractions, we went to the ballpark. That was our distraction. No phone, no video game, no Instagram, no nothing. Go to the ballpark. And it was affordable. Now they have a thousand other things to do. It's quite expensive to go to a hockey game, even you know, yep. in our arena or, or in the Bell Center. Um, so long-winded answer, I don't know. If, if, if I think what will it take? It will take for Major League Baseball to seriously consider Montreal and then Montreal to have a serious group that can build a serious ballpark and pay the freight of what an expansion team would cost uh, to, to buy. What's your take? I've got two questions left about Quebec. What's your take on this? Ridiculous bullshit about the universities. Well, a that it's ridiculous. Um, 
So it's a tough one because I think the fundamental problem, and I do speak to Mr. Legault quite frequently. Um, do you? I do. I Does do. he seek you out? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he takes your he call. Yes, he does. Okay. Yes, he does. He does. Um, uh, so this is what I think, and he won't like this, but as an Anglophone, and I, like I said earlier, I don't like to be labeled as, but we yeah. are Anglophones. The yeah. three of us are Anglophones, okay? We generally do not vote for the CAC. We do not vote for the PQ, and we do not vote for Quebec Solidaire, and the Liberal Party is on life support. So politicians care about votes, okay? We see it with Trump. We see it here. We see it everywhere. Our votes are basically irrelevant today because we're not going to be voting for the number one, two, or three party currently. Our, when you say our votes, you mean Anglophones? Anglophone votes. Okay. Well, because this is an Anglophone thing, right? This is about Anglophone university. Now, in my view, the out-of-province students add tremendous value to the city of Montreal. Number one, there's 35,000 of them. They rent apartments. They buy food. They go to restaurants. They take taxis. Uh, they, they, they spend billions of dollars over time in our economy. That has not been counted when you're talking about the tuition. The tuition is only one piece of the equation. Number two is that McGill has produced 12 Nobel Prize winners. You can't ignore it. McGill has attracted some of the greatest minds in the world, and that is a great benefit to the province of Quebec. And when you step outside of Quebec, anywhere in the world, there are three brands from Quebec that matter. McGill, the Cirque du Soleil, and Céline Dion. Those are the only three things that everyone in the world you know, in every country they've heard of. People say, yeah, but what about Guy Lafleur? But what about this? No, in China, they don't know that, okay? But in China, they know McGill. They have a lot of students coming to McGill, okay? They know Céline, and they know the Cirque du Soleil. And we need to embrace those three things. And by the way, this new law affects Concordia, affects bishops. I talk a lot about McGill because it 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 is a gold standard asset of the province of Quebec, not to be reserved only for Quebecers. It's to be shared with some of the greatest minds in our country and in foreign countries. And I don't see how you're going to achieve anything by doubling the tuition of out-of-province students. All you're going to do is two things. You're going to attract wealthy out-of-province students. So who needs more rich kids coming to your school when you could have the best kids coming to your school? And number two, you're going to encourage more francophones to go to McGill. But if you're trying to dissuade francophones from English, why are you opening more spots for them to go to to the English school? So I think that this policy has not been well thought out. The PQ won Jean Talon. There's been a lot of noise. They're rising in the polls. What do we do? And I don't want to make it seem, you know, to, to Mr. Legault that he's, you know, in a panic and acting, but it just seems like it's not well thought out. And um, I've signed a letter this week with a lot of other prominent Montrealers, many of them doctors, professors, uh, hospital administrators, university administrators, um, well-known business people, artists, that is a very well-written letter. I didn't write it. I just signed it. Um, that will be sent to Mr. Legault, and it outlines many of the reasons why this is bad policy and to please ask him to review and consider reconsidering uh, this, this, particular, um, this particular policy. Do you think there's a chance of that? You know, politicians are very remiss to backtrack. It's too bad because in, yeah. business, in business, 
I can I can count on 10 hands the number of bad decisions that I've made and had to reverse course on. Sometimes it results in having to fire people that you hired in good faith, they thinking and you thinking they'd be there for a long time, but it didn't work out, or a project that just didn't work out and you had to you had to you had to stop it and you had to admit, hey, this is me. I I made yep. this mistake. I miscalculated. Um, I don't think politicians like to say the words I miscalculated. Um, I should reconsider, we should reconsider. So I do think there's a chance. Um, but I history history shows me that politicians are not you know, are not are not so good at backtracking. I'm going to ask you one more question about Quebec before you go. You've been very generous with your time, Mitch. We just have to uh, say thank you to our friends at Merson and our friends at Matla Bonheur. I took Ted to Matla Bonheur this week, and he went for a little lie down and got himself <laughs> a little new duvet. You can actually go for a test nap at Matla Bonheur under the duvet. Yes, yeah, I needed a new duvet. You even got tucked in? Yes. Kevin, who runs the place, said to me, okay, lie down on that bed, and he put the duvet over top of me, and it was was like a a test nap. I actually got to to take the duvet out for a demonstration uh, lie down, (laughs) and it was exactly what I needed. Yeah, and you were sold. I was. You were sold, and you bought it that day. Uh, This is another story of of a, a family that, for some reason or another, are passionate about sleep. And helping people get a better night's sleep. I'm passionate about sleep, too. Yep, there you go. People who get up in the middle of the night generally become passionate about sleep over time. I love me a good nap. They started uh-huh. in that small store on Gwen Boulevard in Saint-Geneviève. Um, and uh, with a pickup truck, delivered mattresses at night while they were doing other things and grew this business into um, a, a really a, a business that I love. They deal with uh, mostly Canadian suppliers. They try and do all their sourcing with Quebec suppliers. Um, they, uh, they're based in Montreal. They have 17 stores, uh, in and around the greater Montreal area. And of course you can go online at matlabonner.ca. Um, and it's a different sh- kind of shopping experience, Ted. You will attest to the fact that the stores are beautiful. The people are nice and it's just a different way to shop for a mattress or bedding. Yeah. They're, uh, it's customer service. You know, again, all of our sponsors, family owned yeah. businesses, uh, who excel at customer service. Like the Mersons. Yes. Absolutely. We should say before I get to the Mersons, yes. metlabonner.com. Dot CA. Dot CA. Yes. Metlabonner.ca. I was testing you. I yes. was making sure you knew that. I passed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The Mersons, meanwhile, uh, are having to uh, reconsider their vacation plans because I got rid of my pre owned German luxury sedan that was uh, keeping them in caviar. <laughs> <laughs> because every week something went wrong with that piece of shit. <laughs> what did I call it? The, the Bavarian, Bavarian money, money pit. pit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good news for the Mersons, but bad news for me. So I got a more modest um, uh, German sedan that keeps uh, that's a pre-owned German sedan that's uh, not giving me the trouble that that piece of junk did. Um, but of course I still got to do my winter tires as we all do, because that's the law here in Quebec. And that's what the Mersons specialize in. They specialize in tires, but, uh, they've also got, uh, a full assortment of, uh, uh, mechanical bays in the back so that you can do your uh, fall maintenance, which is extremely important heading into the winter time. You want to make sure that your car is in good working order. The Mersons will do that for you as well. And if you have an issue, and this goes back to what Mark Merson said to you many years ago, Ter, when you started doing commercials for them, like, Mark, what sort of a talking, what talking points do you want? What's important to you in the business? Tell them that the owner is always at the counter. 
and he or she is. You yep. will always find one of the owners at the counter at Merson. Chances are you're not going to run into any issues, but if you do, you don't have to send a letter to corporate right? Uh, because they're right there, yeah. the owner's right there. Montreal-based business looking after Montrealers. We love those guys. Mercenauto.com or drop by and see them on Saint-Jacques, west of Cavendish. Mitch, you talked about um, Montreal, and it's where we grew up. It's the streets that we know, the restaurants we're familiar with. The, you know, the, It's as big a pain in the ass as it became to me. Um, one of the things that I've learned, having moved to British Columbia, is I realize Quebec is where I'm from. It's part of who I am. Is it ever going to change? Do you ever think this pull, the, the tug of the, the nationalism and the, the language, and you know, is that always going to be part of our DNA? It, you know, I, my first election, I was eligible to vote in 1976. And la plus change. We talk about the same stuff for years and years and years. And when I, me and my wife heard about the new language bill, my wife said to me, God, yes, are they doing this again? And they are. And now there's the university thing. Anyway, my, my question to you is, do you have hope that someday we won't talk about this? Or is it just, is it in the DNA? It's in the DNA. It is. Um, Shit. You can, love, <laughs> you can love Quebec and completely disagree with Bill 21, which, which was a hijab law. You can call it what you want. The end result might be a laicite law. It was a hijab law. And I'm against a hijab law, especially when it was originally referred to, essentially, as that, the way that uh, Trump referred to the Muslim travel ban. He had to change the name a few times, but he got the travel right. ban in the end. Um, and, you know, I think there's the, the, new, the new focus is on, in French, what they say, le déclin de la langue française. So the it, decline of French. My view, well, my view is this. With the onset of Netflix and TikTok and Instagram and all the streaming, there is for sure more English being consumed by everybody in the world, including Quebecers. Do I think that French is on the decline? Not as much as English is just much more present in, in content. So you can love Quebec and fight the Bill 21 and fight the bill parts of the Bill 96 and fight the university law. But then when you step outside the fighting, it's what you and Ted and I have been talking about. It's just really a bunch of down-to-earth people with a very high quality of life, and it's a place you could be proud to bring your children up in despite the, the conflict. Is it better to be in the States where there's a school shooting every day? Is it better to be, I can name you, is it better to be in France where there are riots every day with 20,000, 30,000 people killing policemen and murdering professors? You know, this is a really, really good place, and if you don't mind, I wanna say one thing. Um, you said something earlier about, uh, you know, you didn't feel comfortable here. I think, and we're all in the same basic age bracket, I'm 59, you're 65. Um, basically, there are chapters, okay, in our lives and in Quebec life. You guys are a massive part of one of the most important chapters, okay, you, Ted Bird, Ted Blackman, uh, Balkan, uh, Melnick, Mitsumi, I, you know, we can go through the McGowan, Hoagland, uh, Rand, Schnurmacher. We can go through 20 or 30 names that they, 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 they helped create 
what we're living in today, even if we've diluted it, sadly, it's been diluted. Radio has become uh, less important. Local radio, sadly, has become uh, less present. But I believe that you are hugely appreciated and outside of the noise, the French media, because I've talked about you many times to the French media and French sports, they all know you. They all love you. They all listen to Shom. Yeah. They knew George Balkin. They knew Ted Blackman. Uh, they respected you. They're not part of the, no. the noise. They're part of the fabric that you guys helped create. And I'm a big fan. So I wanted to say it. Thank you. Oh, God, Mark, I love you. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Mark Cassavy in La Presse wrote a column that uh, put a lump in my throat when I retired. And there was a, um, I had a huge, and this is what, what drove me nuts, I, I had a huge, huge sense of pride in the fact, and largely because I was at Shom, and Shom one time was a bilingual station that had the respect of, you know, I became friends with Serge Fiori, and that, that, that was amazing to me. And when I left, there was a column in Le Devoir, there was a column in the Journal, there was a a piece in La Presse, and, and you know, the, the the first time La Presse did a feature on me, it was in Saturday's paper with a big picture of me that I have in a frame at home because I take great pride in the fact that I kind of reached across the divide. And uh, when, a, you know, it happened the other night at Place Bell, a kid named, a kid, he was, I guess, in his 30s, Fidix. I'm, I just want to thank you for everything. Hey, Terry the Mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it, it's, a, it's a great source yeah. of pride to me. And, and like I said, now that Jess and I are in British Columbia, um, you know, when we left here, we were so mired in the, the anger about the things that bothered us, yeah. we forgot about the things we love. Also, look, the way, the way certain radio stations have treated certain long-time loyal um, contributors to this society has been extremely unfair. Mm -hmm. um, and so we call it out yep. and um, I'm happy to call it out. But I do, I do think that you guys, you know, doing all these podcasts and uh, I'm going to be retweeting and God love you. reposting yeah. and whatever it is. Thank you for having me. I, I, I can't tell you how thrilled we were to have you. I said to Ted this morning, we were talking about you before you got here and I said, this guy's the most accomplished guy we've had on the podcast. Yeah. Well, you this guys better get to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and by the way, I'm going to hold you to it because yeah. I don't yeah, we'll care. Game together. I don't care what game. Jess and I would love to accompany you to the okay. climate pledge. Hundred percent, it's happening. Merci beaucoup, Mitch. Merci à vous. Standing by the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada. The UPS Store near you is locally owned and operated by a member of your small business community. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.